literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to Austin Found. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. And again, on this episode, like the, the one previous, we get to talk about something that's been around for a long time and still exists today. You can partake of what we're going to talk about Still today. going strong. Yes. And that is KFMA, our classical music radio station. 89.5 on the dial, by the way. And I love this, how you just went through, it was, it was their 50th anniversary. Right, in uh, 2017. And you went through a timeline of a right. radio station. Right. But you had a personal connection to early <laughs> days of this station, which maybe is what put it on your radar to write right. about it? In part, I always remember the story because it, it just stuck in my head how what standards are on the radio and, and, and how they get established. But my sister, Kathleen, was part-time host on KMFA. Is this your – you just have one sister, correct? No, I three. No, you have three sisters. I have three. Because one owns a bookstore in Houston. Right. Different more sister or same yes, sister? Yes, different sister. This is the one who has a music degree and oh. led choirs for years and – she worked at the radio station. Which explains her passion to want to work at a classical, classical station. Okay. And she had the graveyard shift. She had <laughs> very early in the morning. When the crazies call in. Well, that too. But also, <laughs> uh, because believe me, I've, I've worked graveyard shifts for an answering service once. And, oh. Yeah. Not, not 100 yards from this, this studio. Yeah. And uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> but this was even longer ago. You know, she was called into the office of Leonard Masters, who was the voice of KMFA. And he said, Miss Barnes, we do not play segments of music ever. We play the whole piece or not at all. <laughs> so I was like, wow, I could either think he's a, a real prig or <laughs> he has very high standards. He's a purist. He's a purist. Let's get the timeline here. And, and hey, trust me, in Radio World, which is where I came from, a decade is a good run. Right. And we're talking about a, a station established in, in 1965. Well, 1967. 1965 was when the old radio, commercial classical station, uh, went off the air. So people were scrambling to get a classical station. This is the time when public radio and public television were first getting underway. Mm. And and one of the great uh, leaders of that nationally was Bob Schenken at the University of Texas. He set up – he was the Johnny Appleseed of public broadcasting. He set up public radio and TV stations all over the country. Wow. But he was responsible for our PBS station uh, and, and – this was one of the first, KMFA was one of the first nonprofit radio stations in Austin, and it started in 1967 with the ringing tones of, of Rossini's William Tell Overture on January 29th at 1 p.m. on 1967. You know, it's interesting. I just was, I was drifting in my head for a second there because I come from radio and thinking about how relevant non-commercial and public radio is today. You mm -hmm. you think with all the choices 
You know, and that's what where media has problems. There's so many choices. Yes. Yet, nonprofit and public radio thrive. I think podcasting has a lot to do with it, but there just seems to be maybe it's my age, but there seems to be more interest in it than I ever recall. Well, we only had, if we had one, only one public radio station and one public TV station in most cities growing up and only three or four commercial TV stations when I was growing up. And they were so different from the regular programming. I think that that set them apart. They didn't necessarily draw the biggest audiences, but they had very distinctive programming. Very quality audience. Yeah. And very engaged audience. Yeah. Yeah. Very engaged. Very passionate. Yeah. And in radio terms, they call it TSL. You know what that is? No. The way they do ratings is an equation of total people listening, which they call QM audience, Mm -hmm. and TSL, time spent listening. Uh Well, we're doing that now with the paper. (laughs) Right. We're really examining all that data for our uh, uh, digital formats for the American states. Yeah, and so a lot of times, me coming from commercial radio, you get outperformed by a public radio or a nonprofit because their audience is there out of passion. They listen all day. Right. It's their backdrop to their entire day. Exactly. Where commercial, it's a button push game. Right. <laughs> well, in the newspapers now, uh, with our digital products, uh, we used to only look at page views, and now we look very closely at time of, of audience engagement. Because those are the people who will subscribe mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. online. And and a, a subscription to the Statesman online is only is less than $200. So I just throw that in there as right. a bit of unpaid advertising. It's all good. It's all good. And uh, a little bit more from the timeline. Oh, they, yeah. As they got big, they decided, well, maybe we should pay one of the, one or these people <laughs> that are coming in here. It wasn't your sister, I'm guessing. No, no. But... Uh, their first salaried employee in 1971. That's right. Kenneth B- Bird, and he was the station manager, and he drew a salary. He was pretty good. By, by 1979, they were presenting live performances. They had their, their listenership was membership was in the thousands. They moved to a building on North Lamar, their longtime home, right near the gun store. Uh, McBride's. Yeah. Yeah. It's right across the street from McBride's. Be scared of anyone who can name the gun store that quickly. <laughs> well, they married into the Callahan's family of Callahan's oh. uh, um, general store. Yeah. Oh, man. I love going to Callahan's. Have you ever written about that place? Oh, yeah. I okay. A, a long, maybe we haven't had an episode on it. No, maybe we haven't. I love going. Callahan family's very interesting big in the rodeo world okay i'd love to know more about it because i enjoy going there soon uh and then this this is fine just when you think about the timing of things their first broadcast from a compact disc was in 1983 that's significant because that allowed them to give a real clean sound some say a little chilly sound but uh and also (laughs) allowed them to compact their collection mm-hmm. and uh so you imagine those thousands of lps that they would have some of them decades old and you never knew if it was going to be scratchy or not 
I remember that from the radio. Just it would start skipping. <laughs> right. <laughs> Please pay attention. <laughs> right. Whoever is down at the station. No, that's early. I you know I was in commercial radio and we didn't go to in pop radio. You know they didn't go to the compact disc until disc until like ninety. Wow. So well after that, it wasn't as important. <laughs> you know, I mean, it didn't. You don't quite get the fidelity out right, of right. Uh, uh, Vanilla Ice that you do uh, <laughs> what they were playing. <laughs> so then important things in the timeline, and, and believe me, I know this, getting more wattage, more power, higher tower. Higher towers. And if you've ever noticed it, they call it in, in the radio world, we call it the Tower Farm, which is oh, up yeah. on Westlake. If you look you know, west in Austin, you know, you look up over Lake Austin and the you hills. see that's the best, that's the prime location for an FM signal. Right. And they continue to expand. And what helps them as well, whenever they increased the area that they could broadcast to was, of course, more potential members. So Yes. And, and penetrating buildings is part of the game, getting more power. How, more- that, how do you do that? Uh, if if it's not a very strong signal, you know, especially if you think about old Austin, our buildings were made of granite and stone, and FM signals just it's harder to penetrate that unless you have more wattage and more mm. power. Huh? Yeah. You mean we have radio signals going through us right now? <laughs> yeah, That's why my joints ache. <laughs> I'm calling the radio station. <laughs> and then this is nostalgic to me as well. 1997. They threw up their first website at kfma.org. And I got a kick out of seeing that because in 97, I threw together the very first website for mix947.com. Wow. And then just gave it to them like an idiot. Uh. <laughs> but I just was fascinated with technology and where all this was going. I was like, I'm, I'll make a station website. Why not? And, and it was a reporter in the newsroom. Who grabbed statesman.com and gave it to Is that right? To the American statesman. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, we were already exploring the protocols for the web as early as 1993. But we were, as a newspaper, we were fairly late in getting deeply into the game. And we chose the specialized website. Austin360.com was our original uh, gambit. That was first? Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. No, it was I would supposed never to be that. A, a youth lifestyle website, and mm-hmm. it was supposed to not have anything to do with the statesman because young people don't read the newspaper was what they told us. They're, they're going to be on this newfangled thing they're called gonna the World Wide Web. Because only young people are on the World Wide Web. <laughs> At that time? Mostly. That, that argument makes sense. But they also didn't want any of our names associated with it. So they hired a whole separate staff that often did the same things we did, the same reviews, the same coffee shop roundups and stuff like that. But it was another staff. They had their own building downtown, Austin360.com. And then as times changed and more uh, newspapers were getting successful at putting their, their core material online, uh, statesman.com and austin360.com, along with Hook'em, mm-hmm. became our three main intertwined brands. Mm. That's very cool. That's a cool little walk down memory lane there. Yeah. And the other little highlights there, starts winning awards. And when we get into the 2000s, 
2001, another up, tower upgrade. Critical. Trust me, in radio, that's critical. Right. And streaming. It's like it's weird to think when streaming started. 2005 starts streaming the station. Wow. That's pretty early. And then 2008, going digital. Yeah. Which we went from analog signal to digital signal, which is when you started seeing the names of the artists and the song on your car because right. it, you can piggyback that information Believe on the digital Believe me. Scene. That was a lifesaver for me because it would drive me crazy. <laughs> I'd be hearing a piece of music on KMFA that I like, but I couldn't tell who it was. So I'd have to sit in the driveway for an extra five minutes to, to wait. To hear the announcement. <laughs> to and then, hear the announcement. And then if they didn't do what they, in radio, they call that backselling it. If they didn't backsell it, you're out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> this is fun. Uh, and then just to wrap this up, at the time, again, you wrote this on their 50th anniversary. Uh, in 2017, but the year prior, the statistically, they're reaching a hundred thousand people a month. That's that's, right. that's terrific. That's a big number. Yes, it is. <laughs> Again, thanks for uh, tuning in to Austin Found. You can find that story in Volume Three of Indelible Austin. That's right. And if you're interested in uh, the history of our state, you should check out our free digital newsletter that comes out every Tuesday called Think Texas. And if you don't mind taking a minute to share this episode or a favorite episode on your socials, uh, letting people know about it. And if you uh, can do us another favor, take some time to give it a review. Google Play, iTunes review, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, that helps uh, it boost it up so people can find it. A quick right? little story. One of my friends, dear friend, who doesn't keep up with everything I do in my career, because I don't talk about my career with dear friends, I just, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> about six weeks ago, she goes, you have a podcast? <laughs> I said, yes. And we've been doing this since March 2020. And she said, okay, okay, I'll listen to it. And then she loves it. This week, she said, y'all didn't have an episode last Tuesday. That was my fault. No, <laughs> I wasn't guilting you. I was just saying, wasn't it great that she missed it? And yeah, she, she was looking forward to and it. She brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my answer to that, you have a podcast, I'd be like, it's 2021. Everyone has a podcast. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good uh, icebreaker. What's your podcast? <laughs> Anyhow, write to us as well. You can send an email. To mbarnes at statesman.com. Or jhager, H-A-G-E-R, at statesman.com. And thanks for tuning in. Happy trails. 